Welcome to Wallachia. Previously, a footman who works at Castello Argish Cornell was found murdered. The townspeople believe he was killed by a werewolf, despite Father Abraham's efforts to convince them there's no such thing. Marley, Eon, and Kwasi had drinks at the inn, where Marley had an odd encounter with Eugen. They listened to a local singer. Among the crowd was a strange woman in a white cloak. Afterward, Marley asks her friends to help her rob the church. Chapter 5. How to Borrow a Book Even after taking the long way up to the castle, Eon wasn't ready to go to bed yet. In front of the gates, a temporary dais for Sunday's speech was nearly complete. Eon hopped up on it, took a moment to admire the clear crescent moon in the sky, then jumped off the back of the small stage. The cool night air felt nice, so he decided to take a walk through the gardens and think things over. Marley's plan wasn't complicated. He wasn't terribly concerned about pulling it off. If anything, her planning some mischief meant she might be a little bit back to normal. No one knew what had happened at the dance academy, and since coming back she'd spent most of her time at home by herself. They all had an unspoken agreement to give her whatever she needed, but he was still worried about her. On top of that, he had Quasi's disapproval of his new position as Nicolay's assistant hanging over him. Working in the castle had always been just a job, one he liked even. Helping keep the castle running smoothly meant helping the town. But Quasi hadn't ever liked Nicolay, so now that he was working directly for him and not just for the castle in general, there was a tension between them that he'd felt when they'd left the Sarda. They'd walked out together, but then Eon had turned toward the castle for the night instead of walking with him to their parents' houses. Quasi had just said, oh, night then, but it was clear that staying in the castle more often was going to be a sticking point for a while. In the meantime, he'd probably have duties to attend to before the village came to Dom Newell Negruscu's Beach Sunday, and he had a book to help borrow. Just a book, Marley had said earlier that night in the Zarda. What's so special about this book, Quasi had asked. It's from Father Abraham's private library. He has volumes in there he doesn't share with people. But he shares it with you. No, he doesn't know I know about it. What sort of book would he not want people to know about? Is it secret priest magic? Is it a book that says how you turn water into wine? Because if it is, you have to share that with us, said Eon. While I'm in there, I'll look for that book also. Now please, boys, I just need you to help me and not worry about it for now, okay? Someday, I think I'll be able to tell you more. Kwasi had given Eon a quick look, shrugged, then said, Okay, but you owe us a dozen of your Tata's pretzels. After Vasily's performance, since she'd come home, really, Marley had seemed to tense. Balled up, like when one of the cats tried to sneak into the castle's kitchen, afraid that one of the cooks would throw something at it in any moment. When Kwasi agreed to go along with her little heist, a small measure of that tension melted. Father Abraham has a heavy trunk where he keeps his reserved collection. I can't lift it. It used to be in the back of the closet in the study at the rectory, but he moved it when Father Tiberu moved in. Father Tiberu was a retired priest who'd moved back to the village a few years ago. Now he keeps it in his office in the church. It's stacked up with some other crates. I used to be able to get it out by myself if no one was around to hear me wrestling with it, but now with, she tapped her cane against her bad right leg. Well, I won't be able to do it myself. Ooh, I like being the muscle, said Kwasi. Alas, I need you to be the distraction, Kwasi frowned. Sunday afternoon, everyone will be going up to the castle to see Count Dracula and Domnul Negerskri speak. I need you two to meet Father Abraham on the way up the hill. He always walks everywhere unless someone offers him a ride, so it needs to be you. Eon, once you get a little bit away, tell Father that you're sorry, but you'd forgotten the entire reason you were supposed to come find him was to get the castle's box back. The box, asked Eon? The box. You know, the donation box? The big wooden casket with gold on it that they bring in every month with the money the castle gives to the church? Eon and Kwasi had both given her blank looks. They always make a big deal about it at Mass, about the generosity of the Negascrew family? Doesn't ring a bell. Well, it's before they ring the bell. More blank stares. Uh, you never pay attention to anything. 
Well, anyway, there's a box. It's, I don't know, a few tenyeric across, about like this. She mimed a rectangle about the size of her forearm. They put your boss's family's donation in it and carried it up to the altar. Cornell used to come in every month and ask Father Abraham for it. I saw him come a few times when I was in the church studying languages. He'd get the empty box, the family would put its piastres in it, and then they'd offer it at Mass. Anyway, this week they'll be making the donation, and then Father Abraham will lock away the money and you're supposed to take the empty box back up to the castle so they have it for next month. So when you see Father Abraham, you tell him you were supposed to bring the box back. He keeps it in his office, so he'll give you his keys and let you go get it. Cornell did this every month? Marley shrugged. It's just, if this was supposed to be part of my job now, why didn't anyone tell me? What if next month they come around and I hadn't gotten this box? Oh, I'm sure Nicolay would have yelled at you, even though he never told you to do it, because he's a little snot. Quasi started coughing. He'd just taken a drink and had tried to laugh, but had swallowed it wrong. Moving on, Sunday you'll tell Father Abraham you're supposed to get the box, and you'll offer to go get it. Quasi, you take him up to the castle after Eon gets his keys and goes back to the church. Then, while we're in the office getting the box, we'll get the book, then meet back up at the castle for the speech. Eon went over the plan in his head again as he walked along the hedges in the castle's garden. They ran in several lines across the lawn and in parts were as high as his head. They smelled nice and he liked to let himself get a little lost wandering among them. He heard a wolf howl somewhere in the forest. From the other side of the hedge, he heard a man's voice. Ah, what music they make. Listen to them. Eon froze. He thought he was alone in the garden. Another wolf picked up the call, then a third. Count Dracula, I am certain that the girl will come peacefully, said a woman's voice. Yes, yes, the girl, said the man. I saw her, you know, when I first arrived in this village. She had a quality that I could not identify at the time. When I heard this evening of your arrival in town, I realized what she was. The woman said, you realized I wore a white cloak myself once, many years ago. The man, Count Dracula, continued, allow me to hazard a few guesses. She is somehow the first person of whom I'm aware to leave before the seventh year, to escape if I could hazard a guess, and the headmaster has instructed you to bring her back. After a moment, the woman said, Forgive me, Count Dracula, I had no idea you were us. My audience was long before your time, Fräulein Margareta. You're expected back within the fortnight, I would imagine? Before the full moon, yes. Ah, the full moon, another mystery that Wallachia has presented. The moon? Forgive me, I don't follow. It's nothing you need concern yourself with. Something the locals are very concerned with. It seems they have a werewolf on the loose. A werewolf? But Count Dracula. I am as curious as you are. A puzzle, I'm afraid, you will not have time to solve before you depart. Return to the headmaster. Tell him that I will administer the punishment to the baker's daughter personally. Baker's daughter? Marley? Eon gasped out loud, then clasped his hands to his mouth. Barely before he had time to wonder if he'd been overheard, he saw Count Dracula standing before him. One moment, he'd been hearing the Count's voice from the other side of the hedge. The next, the Count was simply there, just a few paces away. Eon heard movement behind him, and turned to see the woman walking down the path toward him. It was the woman he'd seen in the town square earlier that night, whom Friedrich and the other guards had taken to the castle. Taken, he now realized, to meet with Count Dracula. And somehow Marley was involved. What do we have here? she asked. One of the Willigian servants. Count Dracula, do we know what he overheard? I cannot have anyone knowing about the purpose of my visit here. As she said this, she reached into her cloak and produced a knife. She looked at Eon, then down at the blade, running her finger across it. She stepped closer to Eon, who couldn't take his eyes off the knife. It reflected a touch of faint moonlight, and he could see her fingers mirrored in it. Then he saw the Count's hand cover the woman's, though he hadn't seen its reflection, nor noticed the man move. Count Dracula pushed the knife back toward her. No need for that, child. This house just lost one of its servants. The people are already very suspicious. A little superstition is useful. Too much could jeopardize my position here. The woman put her knife away. 
Eon was terrified. He managed to say, Count Dracula, please, my apologies. I was just taking a walk through the garden before going into bed. I am sure I have no idea what you were talking about. I, I, my entire life is service. If you ask Adrian, he'll tell you that I would never betray the confidence of a guest. Not that I heard anything. The Count considered Eon, but didn't seem to take any notice of what he'd just said. He stood, appraising him for a moment, then said, So full of life, this one. Yes, I think this might do nicely. Negrescu has already been bent to my will, but it might help to have another available that I can call on if needed. Unbidden and with ferocious speed, the Count extended his arm. Eon felt a strong hand grasp the back of his neck and twist his head until he was looking directly into those vile, red eyes. He stared back at Eon for a short time, then with a swift kick swept his legs out from under him. Eon fell into Count Dracula's arms. Dracula looked at the woman in the white cloak and said, First, perhaps, a little refreshment. The Count pressed his mouth into Eon's neck. A peculiar sensation came over him, first a sharp pain in his flesh. He tried to push his arms against the Count and shove them away, but found they wouldn't move, as if his body had fallen asleep while his mind remained awake. He instructed his arms to move, but they hung limp at his sides. An odor of rottenness surrounded him, like musty earth mixed with decay. The attack didn't last long. When it was over, the Count looked down into his eyes and smiled. It was an awful, hateful expression. The teeth and lips were covered with blood. The red eyes were cold. He said, Henceforth, you will go about your life here in this village as normal. But when I call, you will come. It may be many months until I need something. But when I ask, you will carry it out, thinking it was your own idea. Now, sleep. Eon awoke with a headache to the sound of Adrian's knock at the door. He was usually up before the butler made his rounds, but he had had too much to drink at the Zarda last night. Something had happened that he was supposed to remember. The box. Marley's plan. She'd gone over what they were all supposed to do. Then he must have walked back to the castle and gone straight to bed. First, coffee. The kitchen kept a good stock of Turkish beans. When he got downstairs, Stefan, Oana, and Lucia were already seated, along with Evgeny of the Order of the Dragon. The usual staff breakfast of eggs with onion, sheep's cheese, bread, and tomatoes was laid out. Jan took a mug, filled his cup with dark, bitter coffee, and took a place at the table. When he reached for a piece of bread, the collar of his shirt rubbed against something raw on his neck, and he winced. Are you okay, Jan? You look a bit green, asked Iwana. Just had one too many in the town last night, I think. And I guess something bit me, he said, rubbing his neck. It's nothing. How was the show? I want to go down and see it sometime. It was fabulous. Evgeny was there, he can tell you. Evgeny had just taken a big bite of bread, but nodded. See, I keep telling you how good it is. Svita and Roman finally got married. You should really come here vastly next time. You'll have a bit of a chance, said Vlad, who'd just come into the kitchen and was filling his own coffee mug. What's that? asked Yom. Ask Herr Dragon there, said Vlad, waving his hand toward Evgeny. It's one of the reasons the Count asked us to go last night, to the little concert, said Evgeny. He'd heard about your Vasily and wanted us to appraise his performance. We told him about it last night, and he's asked us to extend an invitation to sing tomorrow. We'll be going to his camp later today to ask. Many people turn down invitations from the Count's guards, do they? asked Vlad. Evgeny let the comment pass. Jan was too wrapped up in his enthusiasm for Vasily's story to notice. I wonder what he'll do. Maybe the shipwreck, said Jan. It's fantastic. They're in the Vermana, and then... We know. You've mentioned it every week since the spring, said Lucia, slapping him on the back. Okay, okay, I just like it, said Jan, smiling. It was true. He probably did mention Vasily's epic too often, but there weren't many other pieces of local art to discuss. Marley was always trying to get him to read more, but it just made his eyes swim. I better go check in on our new guest, said Lucia. New guest, asked Jan. Lucia replicated Vlad's earlier hand gesture toward Evgeny, who said, Da, 
The Count told us an acquaintance of his would be visiting your village. We met her at the concert last night and brought her up. I had wanted to apologize that we were unable to have drinks after, Herr Eon. Eon waved him off, and then the first of the bells rung. The staff all looked at the wall at the same time, though they could tell by the pitch that it had been Nicolas. Eon shoved the last of his eggs into his mouth, stuffed a bite of tomato in, and went to retrieve the tray the cooks had prepared. He lifted the lid to make sure everything was there. Typically, the family ate breakfast together, but recently Domnul Negescrew had taken to sleeping late after his nighttime meetings with Count Dracula, so Nicolay would just take a bit of bread and preserves early and join his mother for a meal later in the morning. Eon finished chewing his own breakfast, then, with tray in hand, headed up the stairs to the hall outside the parlor, through the dining room, and up two more flights of stairs to the family's residence. The family's bedchambers were all on the third floor of the castle's main structure. Nicolay's was at the back, two floors above the dining room. It was large and square, except for a circular indentation cut by the northwest tower at its far right corner. The bottom of the tower connected directly to a corridor just outside the kitchen, but the family always kept their tower doors locked, preferring servants to enter through the main doors of their bedrooms. It was understandable, but every time Eon had to take the long way while carrying food he might spill, he couldn't help but wish he were allowed to make use of the tower's efficient layout. Why design a castle with passageways that let you get around so quickly if you won't allow people to use them? Eon knocked on the door, heard Nicolay's grunt, and came inside with the tray. He set it on a small table. Nicolay made another grunt, took a piece of bread, and, while still chewing, said, Tell the stables I'd like to go riding later. Eon nodded. He waited to see if there was anything else, then asked, Do you know what your father and Count Dracula are going to say tomorrow? Of course I know, said Nicolay but I don't want to ruin the surprise. Eon said no, don't, though he wasn't convinced. To his knowledge, Nicolay had met with the Count only a few times, always with his parents present. They made pleasant conversation about history and politics, but then Nicolay and Duomna Negescrew would be dismissed so the Count and his father could talk long into the night. The Count never took meals with the family. They often met in the south wing in Domnul Negescrew's study, or the library, which had large windows overlooking the village. Is there, began Eon, Nicolay walked over to his mirror and inspected himself in it. Eon continued, Is there anything you need me to be taking care of aside from the stables? Things that, um, things that Cornell used to do? Cornell hardly did anything. And what he did do, he made a mess of. Cornell had been clumsy, it was true. They'd all joked about it, but now that he was gone, Eon didn't like hearing it said so harshly. Sunday, I think, is the day the family makes its monthly donation to the church. I know Cornell took care of the special casket they, you, put the money in. I just didn't know if I was supposed to deliver it before Mass or anything. You think I trusted Cornell with money? Nicolay laughed. No, he just took care of the empty box. Vlad handles the money. Nicolay laughed again and said, Oh, there is something. You know that my father has asked me to look into the murder. Yes. The Order of the Dragon has taken over the investigation, said Nicolay. He then quickly added, At my request, naturally. He paused. Eon got the impression that he wanted to be congratulated for thinking to use the guards in this way, though he wasn't sure it had actually been Nicolay's idea. I'd heard they were bringing in some of the Romani for questioning. Yes, that's what I was getting to. Tell the guards I'd like to meet with them Monday for a report on how it's going. I'd also like to visit the dungeons as well. Eon said that he would, and excused himself. During Sunday Mass the next morning, Eon took notice of the presentation to the guests for once. When he caught sight of the donation box of the family, he leaned forward in his row and gave Marley a look that sent her into a fit of laughter. Afterward, Kwasi caught up with Father Abraham and offered to give him a ride to the castle for the speech. While their parents chatted with assorted villagers and Marley's sisters went off with their friends, she, Eon, and Kwasi sat against one of the church's walls and went over their schedule. I think we have a problem, said Eon. Why? asked Marley. We're a cart short. 
Kwasi is going to drive father up the hill. We'll go back for the donation box in Marley's book. But how are we supposed to get up the hill? I could walk, but I'd be late, and you're not winning many races lately. Kwasi put his arm around Eon, then said, Oh, look at you, thinking things through. You're just supposed to be the muscle. Eon gave him a quick kiss, then said, If she's the brains and I'm the brawn, what does that make you? Kwasi thought for a moment, didn't come up with anything, then turned to Marley and said, So, Morella Elena, what about that cart thing, anyway? They sat together surveying the churchyard. Loreline and two of her friends were looking at some boys, then turned back to each other and laughed. You know how, when you want to sneak out somewhere, you tell your parents that you're staying at someone's house, and they tell their parents they're staying at yours? Sure. So we'll do something like that. We'll make a mistake on purpose. Eon said, spell it out for us. Between our families, we have our carriage, Eon's, and Kwasi's Leiterwagen. We need two of those three, one for Kwasi to take Father Abraham in, and one for us to ride up later after we go to the church. I'll tell Tata that we three want to ride up together. Actually, I'll be honest and say we want to ride together and that we've promised to give Father Abraham a ride. Kwasi, I'm guessing your dad's still up on the mountain? He is. Kwasi's father spent a lot of time tending to the flock this time of year. Okay, so you tell Amaye that we're taking my carriage and can they give Tata, Loreline, and Dora a ride in your wagon. Come over to my house so you can meet me and then she can pick them up. Then, Eon, you tell your parents the same thing. Ask your dad if we can use his cart to take Father Abraham and see if they'll ride with my family. Then, when they all get to the bakery, either they don't notice we've arranged for two carriages, or we just pretend we got mixed up on who was supposed to drive. They'll agree to all ride on the leader wagon, and we'll have horses and two carriages to ourselves. Is that going to work? Sure it will. It's all just true enough to be plausible, and we can blame all the confusion on Kwasi, which everyone will believe. See, that's what I'm for, said Kwasi. A few hours later, they'd successfully sent their parents up to the castle and were on their way to the church. They'd left Marley with her carriage at the bottom of the hill, and Yon and Kwasi went up to collect Father Abraham. They rode back out of the gates, down the hill, and turned left toward the castle. Then Yon said, Oh, I'm so stupid, Father. Hmm, said Father Abraham. I was supposed to ask you to bring the donations box. I guess it's my job now to pick it up and bring it back to the castle, but I didn't get it earlier. Oh, it's not a problem. I saw Vlad this morning, and we talked about how Cornell used to bring him the empty box after Mass. He said he didn't know if anyone had thought to tell you to get it, not that it's urgent, so I sent it up with Lucia. Eon looked behind them. Down the street, around one corner, Marley was waiting for him. She needed him to help her, but his one excuse was gone. It made sense. No one had told him he was supposed to retrieve the donation's box after church. If Marley hadn't said something, he might not have known about it until next month when they went looking for it. Maybe this was his way out. I'm sorry, Father, it's just... He turned to Kwasi in the driver's seat and let out an annoyed grunt. Eon took the hint. He turned back to them and said, What is it? Well, I guess I'm mad is all. Or, let down? This is a new job, being Nicolay's assistant. And no one told me about the donations box until today, after I'd already left the church. I think people just assume I'm supposed to know these things, and I just know Nicolay's going to yell at me now. Father Abraham said, No one expects you to be perfect right when starting out. Nicolay does. Well, besides that, he doesn't know you forgot to ask me. As far as he knows, you have the box. No problem at all. Hey, Quas, can you stop for a minute? Quasi pulled the reins and the carriage came to a slow stop. Eon made a show of getting upset. Once he got going, he realized it wasn't as much an act as just letting his feelings come out. It's just, Cornell was a dunce in a lot of ways, but I didn't appreciate how much he did, you know? I never thought I'd miss him. He was just someone I worked with, right? But now he's gone and I can't... I tried to take the stairs the other night, did I tell you? Oh. And I just couldn't do it. I took the long way, up the hill. The stairs... That's where he was, father. Quasi reached back and squeezed Eon's shoulder. 
After a moment, Eon said, maybe it would help for me to walk it off for a minute. He hopped down and said, it was good to see you, father. Then, giving Kwasi a smile, said, I'll see you up there, okay? Kwasi got them going, and as soon as they rounded a corner, Eon dashed back to where Marley was waiting. He got into her carriage and said, we have a small problem. I don't have the key. Did you miss the part of the plan where half your job was to get the key from Father Abraham so we could get into his office? He'd already sent the donation box to the castle. I wasn't wild about this caper hinging on me lying to a priest in the first place, but at least it was so I could go back and get a box I needed to get anyway. You weren't supposed to be lying. You just weren't telling him that the box wasn't all we wanted to get from his office. Eon rolled his eyes and said, I also wasn't telling him we were going to steal from him after he trusted us with his keys. Borrowing, said Marley. Okay, okay, let me think for a minute. She drove her carriage up the road, through the church's outer walls, and parked it next to the school tower. Eon hopped off, offered his hand to help Marley down, and they sat together on the running board. Well, we can't force the door, said Marley. Not without breaking it. We don't have any tools, and I don't know how to pick a lock anyway. I guess I could. She looked at Eon for a moment, then said, no, no, hmm. They sat for a minute, then Marley looked over toward the rectory and smiled. You said you didn't want to lie to a priest. How about lying to two priests? Oh, said Eon, then. What if he doesn't have one? Or if he doesn't trust me to get the donation box myself? What if he mentions it to Father Abraham later and he figures out we were in his office? You'll just have to charm him. Three minutes later, Eon came out of the priest's residence, twirling a heavy key ring on his finger. He took Marley by the arm, she picked up her cane, and they walked toward the church together. Did he buy it? I didn't even have to ask him. He was asleep in the big chair in the living room, and the keys were on the table. Well, bless old Father Tiburu. Father Abraham's office smelled like a priest's office should. A hint of incense, old books, and pipe tobacco. Behind his desk was a large bookshelf. Next to it was the crate Marley had described. She pointed to it, and Yon started to cross the office, but stopped halfway. Marley, you've got to tell me what this is all about. You know I'm here to help, but what's in there? Is it really just a book? Is it money? Are you in trouble somehow? It's really just a book. So what's so special about it? Are you saying you won't help me if I don't tell you? No, no, I just, well, I wish you would. It's, okay, you know how I asked about Nay Eugen the other night? He's, well, he's ill. There's a remedy I can make him, and Father Abraham's book will tell me how to mix it. Now will you please help me lift it down? He could tell she was being honest to a point, but that there was more to the story. He also knew that this was as much as he was going to get from her. How was Nay Eugen sick? What did he have? How did he know? Why would she be the one to help him and not a doctor? Why the secrecy? He said, some other time you're going to have to give me more. The crate Marley had indicated was a heavy wooden chest with brass fittings. Above the latch was a plate on which the letters A, R, V were engraved. On top of the chest was a box with brass candle holders in it, and another with several bottles of Slivovitz. Eon lifted them down and set Father Abraham's book crate on the floor behind the desk. Marley knelt down, then looked up at him. As much as he wanted to see what was inside, he could tell she was waiting for him to give her some room. He stepped back a few paces as she opened the lid. Before he moved out of view, he caught a glimpse of one book with the words von Schertz written on the spine. Marley rummaged around in the case, then said, got it. She pulled out a book bound in dark brown leather and set it on the desk above her. A large leaf was stamped in gold on its cover. She shut and latched the chest, picked up the book, and walked to the sofa. After paging through the book for a short while, she said, yes, this is it. Can you put everything back how it was? Eon replaced the chest in other boxes, and they left, locking the office door as they went. Back in the rectory, Father Tiburu was awake. Good afternoon, Father, said Eon. Oh, hello there. On the end table next to the elderly priest was a short, nearly empty glass and a bottle of palinka brandy. If you're looking for Father Abraham, he went up to the castle to hear that awful man's speech, grumbled Father Tiburu. Awful, 
You mean Count Dracula? Father Tipperu belched, then said, Radu, he's more rotten than his father was. He waved his hand to say that he was done talking about it, then got up, slowly, and walked to the far end of the room to retrieve his pipe. Eon took the moment while his back was turned to replace the keys. Was there something you needed? Oh, no, thank you. I'll find Father Abraham at the castle. He didn't know Father Tiburu much at all, and he didn't know how he'd have known Domnul Negrescu's father, nor why he didn't care for him. It was unusual to hear anyone speak ill of the family. Marley was sitting in the carriage reading her book when he got back. He took the reins and drove them away from the church. Everything go okay? asked Marley. Think so. Father Tiburu was awake, but he was more focused on his drink and his pipe than me. He did say something strange, though. Marley raised an eyebrow inquisitively. Said something about Domnul Negrescu being as terrible as his father had been. I'm not really sure what he meant. They rode out of the church's gates. Marley went back to reading Father Abraham's book. Where are you going to keep that thing? This, asked Marley, shutting the book. I mean, you remember that time Dora painted in that Latin book? Marley groaned. Dora had been notorious for coloring or painting on anything in sight when she was little. It was Greek. Let's just say that neither of them goes through my stuff anymore. It'll be fine in my room. I guess the treasure chest is a little bit out of reach. Hmm, I wonder what booty is still up there, said Marley. You'd make an even better pirate nowadays. Was that a peg leg joke? Marley jabbed her cane into his back. Ow! For such a small girl, you... He said, turning around. She threatened to poke him again, and he turned his attention back to the road. When they were eleven or twelve, Marley, Yon, and Kwasi had built a little fort across the river and a short hike up the mountain. In it, they'd pretend to be pirates defending their ill-gotten horde, or soldiers fighting off the Turks or the Russians or whoever they imagined might be invading. The fort had decayed over the years, but there was a tree stump with a large hole in it where they used to hide things. Over the years, they'd even taken some tools over and dug it out enough to fit an old chest in it, the treasure chest. At this point, it probably just held some empty wine bottles. Eon hadn't been up there in years. I'm guessing we'll be getting to the castle right after they start. At least we'll get to hear Vasily's song at the end, said Yon. I hope Nicolay didn't need anything. He knew I was going into town, but I'd rather be available when he needs me until I've been doing this longer. As they rode up the hill, Castello Argus's towers came into view. First the two main east towers, then the tall tower off the south wing. The sun was setting behind it, and the sky had turned a deep red. The crowd filled the carriageway and spilled out in either direction. He slowed and pulled in with the other village coaches. You go on up so you can listen. I need to get back with the other footmen, said Eon. Marley was reading her book again, but looked up, then stowed it behind the seat where it would be secure for the time being. Eon was about to get down, but took a moment to survey the scene again. They were too far away to hear anything, but from the carriage's perch he had a good view of the stage. Domnul Negrescu was standing in front of the crowd. Count Dracula stood behind him and to the right, wearing a dark cloak. To the left were Nicolay and Duomna Negrescu. Order of the Dragon Guards in their dark coats were standing at each of the stage's corners. At several points about the stage, and at intervals along the road and throughout the crowd, tall poles held torches that lit the castle lawn in a warm orange glow. A man climbed onto the stage from its front. He rushed at Domnul Negrescu and raised up his right hand. Eon saw a flash of something red, a reflection of the sunset and whatever the man held. He thrust it toward Domnul Negrescu, who bent forward, then fell to his knees. Within seconds, the uniformed guards had tackled the men. The crowd started to scream. Thank you for listening. This chapter was originally published in October of 2019. The woman in the white cloak, Margareta, tells the Count she is here to take Marley away for some sort of punishment. The Count says to leave her with him instead. Readers were asked to vote whether Margareta would accept the Count's request or to try to take Marley anyway. If you'd like to participate in reader polls, you can download the Wallachia app for free from the App Store. If you're enjoying the story, there are also buttons at the end of each chapter in the app where you can leave a tip. You can follow Wallachia on Twitter at WallachiaNet or on the web at Wallachia.net. 
Next chapter, in two weeks, we'll rewind just a little bit to hear Radu's speech and find out what happened that cut it short.